I want to greet everyone online today. You know, we have people in uh, New York, New Jersey. My mom, hi, mom. Uh, New Jersey, I think Virginia, uh, California, North Carolina, um, and of course, here locally as well, Massachusetts and New Hampshire. But glad you could join us online today. Praise the Lord. So take your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John again today. We're continuing in the series of messages from First John as we preach our way through the book. And uh, we're in verses 12, chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. Um, if you've missed any of the sermons and would like to hear them, you can watch the video or hear the audio on our webpage or our YouTube page, which is, which is New Life Haverhill. Uh, all the messages are there if you want to go back and get caught up a little bit. So let me read First uh, John chapter 2, starting at verse number 12. <clears throat> I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you for your word today. And Lord, may your blessing be upon this message. I know you put it on my heart to share. Help me to share it, Lord, with clarity and conviction and compassion. And uh, Lord, may every ear, either in-house or at home, be attentive to what the Spirit is saying today. Lord, anoint this for your glory and for your purposes, and may we as your children be uh, encouraged by it. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to speak and to bring truths to us that we need to hear today. We thank you already for it, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, before I get into that, or this, I want to tell you something. Yesterday, we had a wonderful wedding here. Uh, there was a friend of uh, Aaron, Aaron Ev Evans and Shay. They have a friend that was looking for a, a place to get married. And so I met this couple about a week and a half ago and found out they wanted to get married yesterday on the, the 28th. And I, you know, we talked and we worked it out and we, we, we planned for a wedding. I have to tell you, there was a beautiful wedding in this place. I don't know that anyone knew the Lord, but they heard the message. And it was a great opportunity to share Christ with a bunch of, maybe 30 or 40 people. On that note, I wanted to announce to you that next Saturday, 
there's going to be another wedding of a young couple in our church, uh, Gianni and Cece. They usually sit over there in the corner with their children, uh, but they're getting married next uh, Saturday. And uh, after the wedding, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, I don't know about the reception, but after the wedding, guess what? They're having a water baptism. The first time in my life we're having a wedding and then a water baptism in the same service. So uh, keep it in prayers is a great opportunity to share and uh, to bring people into the presence of God. So hallelujah. So anyway, we're, we're bringing the message today, uh, continuing with uh, the messages from 1 John. And as you remember, a lot of what John is writing is to oppose or to refute the teachings of the false prophets or the false teachers of the Gnostics. Last week we talked about the, uh, the, the, the concept of loving your brother and, and that how you live now that you're a Christian matters as opposed to the Gnostics' way of thinking. How you live didn't matter, it's just what you knew. And John is making it a very clear point. How you live, as you walk in the light, it affects how you live, how you, how you do things. But now this passage is a little bit different. Uh, this passage, uh, if I were to write this epistle, uh, I, would put, I would have put th- these verses in the very beginning of the epistle. Because it's like an address. It's like uh, he's greeting the, the different people, and he's kind of telling them why he's writing the epistle. But anyway, in the God's divine providence, uh, John put it here where he is. So I was, I've entitled the message today, The Letter Within the Letter. And so if you notice in these verses... And you can just look at them in your, in your Bible. He writes, uh, everything he says is prefaced by the phrase, I write to you because. I write to you because. And if you look at it, it's not because of anything they've done. And this is kind of refreshing to me in a way. It's like, it's not, he's not addressing, addressing anything in particular. He's addressing what God has done for them. And what a great way to look at it. You know, sometimes we get kind of, caught up in what God could do for me and what God is doing for me. And, but let, let's think about what God has done for us. And that's, that's the premise of, the, of this letter. So he settles down here and he, he, he zeroes in on why he's writing and who he's writing to. But there are three people or three classes of people addressed here. And they're each addressed two different times. If you look at it, verses 12 and 13 address, you know, children, fathers, and young men. And then the end of 13 and 14 address children and fathers and young men again. So there's two addresses to three different groups of people. And um, he does this as a literary style to make a point, to bring about certain things that are really important for the people to hear and to understand. Now, in my Bible, maybe in your Bible, but I, I have the New King James Version. I, I use the open Bible. But in my Bible, you can't see it. It's too far away. But th- these verses are indented. They're like set apart from the rest of the chapter. So if it was written today, they, they would probably be italicized or emboldened or a different color. And so they stand out. Like this is something like different than the main part of the letter. That's why I call it the letter within the letter. And scholars have debated... Uh, many years, who these three groups of people represent. But regardless of who they represent, you have to understand that they're terms used for family. Children, fathers, and young men. So in the context of what he's talking about, whatever he's talking about, he's referring to the body of Christ as having a family-type relationship. So we have a spiritual 
connection. We are spiritually connected to one another. So that person sitting next to you or on the other side of the room, that's your brother or sister in Christ. And so we we just want to reinforce the idea. This is family-oriented. And I think there's some type of cultural bias here because he addresses fathers and young men. I think it's okay to to think and to assume that today we could incorporate mothers and young ladies. Although he may be singling out fathers and young men for a certain reason. Because I think in every generation, fathers and young men need to be singled out and addressed appropriately. But so do women and young women, mothers and young women. So either way, uh, the message is for everybody. So let's look at this. So there's three groups that are addressed. So you have children, fathers, and young men. So one possibility is that he's referring to people by chronological age. You know, like their children were just dismissed for kids' church. Uh, or young men and fathers. You have like a, a chronological order. Children, young men, and fathers. You have like the progression of life. You know, three steps of growth and maturity. However, if you look back at chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, he says, My little children, these things I write to you. He gets into this whole theological thing about if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. I don't think that's appropriate for a child to understand. It's probably over their head. Then I think maybe it's by spiritual age, you know, a babe in Christ, someone a little bit more mature than a more mature person. But then again, if you look quickly with me, chapter 2, verse 18, uh, my little children, the last hour uh, is here. Um, You've heard about the Antichrist. I don't think he'd be referring to babes in Christ about the Antichrist. And then chapter 2, verse 28, he says, uh, my little children... Uh, now abide in him when he appears. Now he's talking about the second coming. So I don't think he's referring to chronological children in in that sense. Uh, Chapter 3 and verse 2 kind of sums it up. He says, now we are the children of God. And so the children of God are are, are referencing, or, or the children that he's talking about are not children, are not new believers, not children by chronological age, but by, uh, Referring to children, meaning the body of Christ. Children or little children represent the church. And that's really important to remember. There's no other reference in the letter to fathers and young men, only in these three verses. So when John is writing to my children, he's addressing them as a spiritual father that he probably had something to do with their salvation and their growth and their development and maturity. Thus he says, my little children. So, so in verse number 12, he says, My little children, referring to the believers that, are, that he's writing to in these churches, the redeemed of the Lord, regardless of their age or their spiritual age. And he's writing to the fathers who are the mature group, the mature believers that are wiser and more stable in the faith longer. And he's addressing the young men in the congregations that are newly saved, newer believers. And so this is a, a spiritual paradigm that John uses, Jesus used it in a way when he addressed Peter. Remember when he asked Peter, do you love me? Uh, Peter said, yes. And and Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he asked him again a a second and third time, feed my lambs. So you have this idea of, I always wonder, why the sheep and the lambs? You know, why not just the lambs? Well, because there's young people and there's older people. There's newer Christians and older Christians. Will you feed my flock? 
In the same way Paul <clears throat> addresses this principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he ad- addresses the church, the body of Christ, he said, there are some within you that are the weaker vessels. And on, on the weaker ones, uh, apply, give more honor to them. They're needed and necessary in the church. So in the setting, there are people who are, you know, more mature, longer-term Christian people, newer Christian people. So what John is saying, uh, he, he's addressing the different categories of people within the church. So that's why I say this is a letter within the letter. Because now he's singling out exactly who he's talking to. And, and remember, in the backdrop of this, he's refuting the false teachers that are out there. So the children represent the body of Christ. And within the body of Christ, there are those that are mature and long-term. They're the fathers or mothers of the faith. And there's also the, the young men or the young ladies that are the newer believers. And so each, each category, each group is mentioned twice in these three uh, verses. So if we were to make a composite of it, this is what it would sound like, okay? So to the little children, to the church, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake and you have known the Father. And for the fathers of the faith, the mature ones, he's saying, I'm writing to you because you have known who is from the, you have known him who was from the beginning, I'm addressing you because you have known him who was from the beginning. And for the young men, he's saying, the the newer believer, I'm addressing you because you've overcome the wicked one. You're strong and the word of God abides in you. So when you break it down like that, to me, it has a lot of meat to it. And so I want to take a little bit of time to kind of dissect this whole thing and and then make some application for, for us. So first of all, he's talking to the church, the little children. And so uh, the believer, the body of Christ at large, no matter what your, your chronological age is, no matter what your spiritual age is, no matter your position in the church, Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, whatever, he's addressing the believer in the church. And the first thing he says to them is, your sins are forgiven. And so if I was addressing our congregation, I would say, hey, listen, everybody, your sins are forgiven. You know, don't forget what God did for you. Don't listen to those teachers that are saying to you, the, the, the Gnostics, that you had to do something different. No, no. Under the blood of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. And it, it brings me to a, a scripture. I'm going to read it. You could go here if you want. You don't have to. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. <clears throat> I remember sharing this passage at an ecumenical meeting one time. And boy, could you hear a pin drop in that place. But anyway... Paul writes to the church here, and this this relates to what John is saying, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Then he goes on to a list of behaviors that will prevent people from inheriting the kingdom of God. So verses uh, 9 and 10, uh, I, 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 I categorize them as sexual and social sins. So he says in verse number 9, he says, don't you know fornicators won't inherit the kingdom of God. What's a fornicator? A fornicator is someone who has sex, sexual relations outside of marriage. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. Idolaters. Now in the setting of verse number 9, because there's, there's fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, and sodomites, and idolaters. Idolatry in this case, I think, I think I'm right in saying this, has something to do with sexual sin. 
Because sometimes sexual sin could become an idol. Whether it's a relationship, a bad relationship, an addictive uh, connection with pornography or, or some type of sexual relationship. But idolatry, idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of, of, of heaven. Nor um, adulterers, those that have sexual relationships with people uh, that are married or they're married and have sexual relations with someone else. And then he says homosexuals are sodomites, which is uh, uh, like an aggressive or passive way within the homosexual relationship. So, and then he says in verse number 10, neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, those that party and act obnoxious, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says in verse number 11, one of the favorite verses in the Bible, such were some of you. So within the church of Corinth, there's all sorts of people going on there. And within the church here in Haverhill, there's... Same thing going on. Who, only God knows what our past was. Only God needs to know what our past was, thank God. But we're under the blood. So when, when John writes, hey church, little children, your sins are forgiven you. Forget about what you did before. It's under the blood. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're a brand spanking new creation. And don't let anyone tell you that you've got to do something else about your sinful past. You are cleansed and you are made right by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So then he, he says, you know, he says to the church, your sins are forgiven. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, those at home, I'm telling you, if you're under the blood, your sins are forgiven you. Receive that. Receive it. But then he says, sins are forgiven you for his namesake. Man, that's a whole other emphasis right there. I lived in this part for a long time. I thought it was all about me. I got saved, I got forgiven, and now I'm all good. But I realized me being all good is for his namesake. Because us being right gives honor to him. And I, I love the testimonies of people that have, you know, years of problems and this, this and that. I just don't want to bring glory to the sin. I want to give glory to the deliverer of the sin, Jesus. And so that's why we sing, you know, what a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run there and they're saved. They're safe. The, the name of the Lord is the name that demons tremble at. The name of the Lord is, is the name that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we've been forgiven of our sins for his name's sake. Hallelujah. So John is telling the church, listen, forget about what these guys are saying to you. You don't have to do anything else. You gave your heart to God. You're under the blood of Jesus. Enjoy your salvation. But remember, it's for God's glory, not for your own glory. Let your life bring glory to God. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created through Jesus, and all things were created for Jesus. So having our sins forgiven, having a right relationship with God, puts us in the right position of newness and Usability for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're witnesses for him. And it's impossible to be used by God 
if we're not covered by the blood of Jesus. And then he says, he says to the church, look, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And, and the other thing he says is that you have known the Father. So let me remind you, church, you have known the Father. He's reminding the people there, you know the Father. You know who he is. Forget about these people telling you what you have to know. You have to know the Father. That's your salvation, is knowing God. And so, so the church, he's writing to the church as like a wake-up call. Your sins are forgiven. God gets the glory. You know the Father. So remember the Father's love. And don't lose your first love, as in Revelation 2, when the Ephesians lost their first love. He's saying, you know, God loves you, and you know the love of God. Stay in that love. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, there's, there, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but do walk according to the Spirit. So to the church, he's saying, listen, church, your sins are forgiven. For God's glory, you know the love of the Father. Stay on the right track. Recognize who you are. And recognize your salvation for all that it is. So then he, then he addresses the fathers. Right? The fathers, verses 13 and 14. The mature people. The proven, the ones with proven character. <clears throat> and he says, he says uh, to them, he says, I'm writing to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you because you have known him who was from the beginning. Th- these are people that have an unwavering, stable faith. They know God. They know who the true and everlasting God is. They know him who always was and always will be. They know him who is the great I am. They know him who is from the beginning. They know God beyond salvation. Can I say it that way? I mean, everyone knows the God of salvation. Hallelujah, we get saved. We know God, he saved me. But beyond that, they know God from the very beginning. They know know God beyond the miracles, beyond the deliverances. They know God's character and God's personality. How does that happen? Years and years of surrender and study and discipline, getting to know God. So Father, here in this case, is the the Father understands and accepts the mysteries of God. No doubting, no wavering, no uncertainty, sold out and confident, has a deep faith, an unquestioning faith, and a sincere faith. And I'd have to say, okay, why are you writing to the fathers who have known him who was from the beginning? Because he's saying to them, listen, you elder saints, you senior saints, you, you mature in the Lord, men and women... It's not time to get lazy. It's not time to get lackadaisical. It's not time to stop or relent or to give up or stop believing or stop doing what you're doing. It's no time to to stop doing good. It's no no time to grow weary in your doing good because you are needed in the church. And remember, this is in the context of local churches. So he's saying, fathers, I'm writing to you fathers, you mature ones, you mature mothers of the faith, because you've known God from the beginning. You've known the God from the beginning. You're you're beyond the the miracle of salvation. Now you're going into the deeper things of God. And you're needed today in the church. Now this thinking, I know right here, this smacks right in the face of a lot of things in our culture. And I am all for the youth movement. The youth culture. I love the youth worship and 
millions of young people all over the world. I see these videos. Young people, young 20s, worshiping God. And it's affected our music. It's, it's affected how we communicate. Uh, they, they use technology wonderfully. But I have to say, there's got to be room for the fathers and mothers of the faith to have influence over the youth movement today. So those with a proven character, those that have have proven themselves to be true and faithful, these people are, are, are necessary in the body of Christ. Granted, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, no doubt. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. No doubt Paul said there's apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in the church. No doubt. But on, in addition to that, there has got to be spiritual mothers and fathers within the local congregation. Galatians 2.9, Paul says a little thing. He says, I want to recognize James, the brother of Jesus. I want to recognize Peter. And I want to recognize John, this John that we're talking about, as pillars of the church. Steadfast. Sold out. Strong. Knowledgeable. Wise. And as he recognizes the pillars, we need to begin to recognize pillars in the local church that are so needed today. As I think back of my spiritual history, some of you on live stream, if you're from North Carolina, you may remember, I don't know, Mr. White had no position in the church. Older gentleman, he loved God. Everybody knew if they had a problem, they could always have Mr. White pray for him. Mr. and Mrs. Thrower. No position, no title in the church. Everybody knew Mr. and Mrs. Thrower were, were, were pillars in the church. You have a problem or a need, go talk to Mr. Thrower. He'll, 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 he'll help you out. He'll, he may even straighten you out. I remember going on in my journey, coming back to New York, there was, there was Brother, uh, Brother Philancia. I remember the Philancias. The brother and sister Sagretta. The Woods, the Butlers. We, we came up to Webster. There were pillars in the church in Webster. Came up to Haverhill. There were disciples here at this church, New Life. Disciples of Pastor Brazil and Pastor Kashner. Still serving the Lord. Pillars of the faith. And still doing what they do for the kingdom of God. And I, I, I want to just recognize what, what John is, is talking about here are dedicated people that, are, that know how to pray. You know, they know how to pray. They know when to pray. Always in church. Always involved, always connected. And so as I speak to new life, uh, the voice of reason, the voice of wisdom is necessary in this fellowship. I'll get to that in a minute. So then John, so John writes to the children, the church. He writes, within the church, there's the mature mothers and fathers of the faith. And now there's the, the young men or the young women of the faith. He addresses them in verses 13 and 14, the newer saints. And he says some really interesting things to them. As a composite, if you look at verses 13 and 14, he says to the young men, the new saints, you've overcome the wicked one. Man, that's a good word for a new believer. Because a new believer might be struggling. They may have stumbled, they may have tripped up, they may have committed some sin and gone backwards a little bit. But he's reminding them, no, you know what? You've overcome the wicked one, not by what you do, but by your faith in Christ, you've overcome the wicked one. He probably is referring to uh, Romans 6, as Christ has been buried, you've been buried with Christ through his death, but you're risen with Christ through his resurrection. Thus, water baptism takes on a whole special meaning. Remember, you, you died again, and you're a new creation. You've overcome the wicked one. 
The old man is crucified. The sin is done away with, it says in Romans. We're no longer slaves of sin. And sin shall no longer have dominion over you. So young man, new believer, young lady, if you're a new believer, you've overcome the wicked one by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he says uh, to the new believer, he says a great word. He says, you're strong. You're strong. You're able. You can do this. I can remember back in those days, Mr. White and Mr. and Mrs. Thrower telling me, you can do this, Rick. You can, you can go on with God. Just a voice, you know, a voice in my ear that penetrated my spirit. And John's saying to the new believers, you can do this. You're strong. You're able because God is with you. God started a new work in you. God is able to raise you up and help you through the dilemma that you're facing. Oh, but you don't know my problem. It doesn't matter. God is able. You're strong by God working in your life. Philippians 4.13, my wife's favorite scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Remember the first time we heard that, it's like, all things? Wow. And as I studied, I realized Paul was in prison. And he's saying, I could do prison through Christ who strengthens me. I could do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that live anyway, it's Christ that lives in me. And so John is saying to the young men, you've overcome the wicked one, and you're strong, you're strong. And then he says, he says the word of God abides in you. And this is like a, like a, it's almost like a backhanded theological statement that John's making to new believers that I haven't really thought about until now. But in, John, in John's gospel, when he wrote in chapter 1, the, in the beginning was the Word, but in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. So when we receive Jesus as our Savior, guess what? The Word of God comes in. Never thought of it that way, but that's what happens. That's why we feel conviction. That's why we feel like, oh, I don't know that because the word we're not even aware of it but the word is working in us because jesus is in us and so we allow the word of god to work he say look the you, the word of god abides in you and so to, to the new believer he's saying you know what you've overcome the wicked one you're strong and on top of that you have the word of god in you no matter what comes your way you're different now what an encouraging word to the new believer so Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Oh, young person, new believer, you're complete in Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, the deity of Christ, you know, right there. But in, in him, you are complete as you, as you walk in him. What an encouraging word. So, so this is what John is saying, right? So the backdrop is the, the Gnostics and, and give them false doctrine. So I, I wanted to entitle this, The Letter Within the Letter. And what is the Holy Spirit saying today for us? So there's always got to be an application for this. You know, I mean, I think, I think it's pretty interesting what he was doing here. But what's the application for us today? Well, let's, let's break it down. I would, I would address the little children. That's why before when we had the word, the, the tongue and the interpretation, the English was my children. It, it rang in my spirit. She didn't know. But we're talking about the body of Christ. My children, my little children. 
I want to encourage you, my little children. Right? You're all, you're all my, my children in a, in a sense. We're all children of God, right? I want to encourage you. Look, your sins are forgiven you. All right? Let, let's get that settled. Your sins are forgiven. It's under the blood. It's under the blood of Jesus. Whatever you did, whatever you thought, whatever, whatever happened, it's under the blood and you are forgiven. Hallelujah. Right there, that's why we sang, oh, happy day. <laughs> oh, happy day. Jesus came, took my sins away. You know, we're forgiven. What a burden lifted off of us. Come on. This is like the biggest thing. You know, the ball and chain has been cut off of our ankle. We're free. We're forgiven. But we're forgiven for his namesake. Let's keep it in perspective here. He did that work in us. Whether we knew it or not, he did it for his own glory. (laughs) I I never knew that for a couple of years. He did it for his glory. He did it for his own reason, for his own, his, own, uh, his own power to be displayed. He's working in our lives. So when my mother watches these videos and she sees her son being a pastor, you better know that gives glory to God because she says he would never do that on his own. <laughs> and friends and so forth. Who, you know, what happened to him? My cousins even say to me, I heard you preach. I didn't even know who you were. I'm a new creation. That's why. You know, but there's a thing that happens. We're forgiven. We're set free. But it's for his glory. It's for his sake. And and we have known the Father. Anyway, Matthew 5, 15. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. I say, children, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We are. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And he said, let your light shine before men. You know, outside of the church. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That tells me he saved us and set us apart to do something wonderful for the kingdom of God. So, and and, and for his namesake. So, well, let me ask you a question. What could you do to bring praise and honor to Jesus now that you are a Christian? And, And knowing that you know the Father. You have that knowledge. You know the Father's love. Because you know what it took to get you saved. You know the Father's love. I mean, for me, I know God was chasing me. I know God was dealing with me for probably five years before I surrendered. I know the love of the Father. It's relentless. And I never want to forget the love of the Father. Now that I'm a Christian, I still know the love of the Father. So, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Very important scripture. And I'm I'm speaking to the church here. It says, come out from among them and be separate. Church, children, come out from among the way of the world, the the mindset of the world, the values of the world. I know you can't leave earth. I mean, of course, we live here. But in your spirit, in your mind, even what you do and say, come out from among those that, that hate God. And are opposed to God. Separate yourselves as much as you can. And stand out as different. So, I mean, the little things, you know. So you don't smoke. You don't drink. You don't get high. You don't cheat. You don't, all, these, all these little things that we don't do anymore. All that makes us be different than the flow of the world. Now, those things are good in and of themselves. But in a greater picture, that, that gives glory to God. Because we've been set free. So someone might say, oh, you're legalistic. No, I don't think so. 
I think it's called holiness, right? It's being, being be holy. You, you can't flow like the world. You can't talk like the world. You can't think like the world. You can't behave like the world. Be separate. Come out from among them. And, uh, you know, Pamela and I, we, we've been in that for a long time. And I'll tell you what, it's never boring. The world is still spinning. But come out from among them. Think different. Do different. 1 Peter 3.12, Peter writes, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. So if I address the church, children, hey, children, hey, believer, can you, can you pray? I mean, can you pray? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for one another? Can some of you come out on a Monday night to pray at 6.30? Every Monday night, there's people who are praying at 6.30. I remember some years ago, uh, Pamela and I were, we, we became aware of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York and how every Tuesday night they had a prayer meeting. I don't know the, how it was in the beginning of the prayer meeting. They probably started with a small group of people. No preaching, no worship per se, just people gathering to pray. We went down there for a while on Tuesday nights. There was a thousand people there every time on a Tuesday night gathering to pray. No wonder why the church has a worldwide influence. The saints are praying. There's miracles. There's salvations. People get off the subway and go to the prayer meeting on Tuesday. It's still happening to this day, 30, 40 years later. The Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir is world-renowned. Everyone knows Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Why? Because people pray. But could you pray? I know you can pray. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus, uh, he who knew no sin, became sin for us that we would become the righteousness of God. Can I tell you, church, we are the righteousness of God. We don't maybe feel like it or look like it or whatever, but... Biblically, we, we have become the righteousness of Christ because he allows for that to happen when we're covered by the blood. So to the church, listen, church, your sins are forgiven you for his glory, and you've known the love of the Father, so let's get on with it. We've got, we've got things to do. We've got to go forward with this church here. I mean, we're coming out of COVID. Everyone's scared about Delta, Delta strand or whatever. You know what? Can we just go forward and trust God with everything? Come on. We're the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, it says in the scripture. So that's for the church. Now within the church, I want to address the the fathers and the mothers of our faith. So uh, this is what is the Holy Spirit saying to us through this in these days? So I'm, I'm addressing now those within our fellowship that are mature and stable and steadfast. You're, you're pillars of the faith. So in Romans 16, we were here last Wednesday, last couple of Wednesdays. Paul addresses 35 people by name, sending greetings and whatnot. None of these people had a title. They were workers. They were pillars. They were faithful men and women of God, all contributing to the cause of Christ. And, and they knew him who was from the beginning. They were beyond, oh, I just thought of it. They were beyond being concerned about getting recognized. They didn't care about getting recognized. They didn't care about a title. 
All they cared about was doing what they had to do for God because God saved them. They knew him who was from the beginning. They knew the stories. They knew, the, they knew Abraham and Moses and David and the, the, all different. They knew all the things of the Old Testament. They knew the prophecy. They know, they know him who was from the beginning. And here, here now Paul is recognizing these are faithful workers. Matthew 7 talks about uh, when the storms of life come and when the, the winds blow and different things happening. Those that build their house upon the rock. They don't get blown over and destroyed when the troubles come. But the foolish man, he, he falls apart. See, pillars of the faith are people that have been through it. And they've, they've come to the other side. They know their God. They absolutely know their God. So when someone comes up to them all frantic about something, they, they don't move. They listen, and they agree, and they say, let's pray. My God is able to help you. Galatians 2.9, I said it earlier, James and Peter and John are the pillars of the church. We need pillars in the church, in this church. I don't mean secret pillars. I mean we need pillars in the church that aren't afraid to be pillars. Acts 13, by name, there's pillars mentioned in the church of Antioch. There was Barnabas and Lucius and Menaean and Paul and Simeon, pillars of that church, teachers, prophets, praying together, seeking God together. In Acts chapter 6, there's pillars of the, of the, of the faith there the, in the church of Jerusalem. Choose seven men among you that could wait on the tables. Timon, Parmenaeus, Nicanor, Prochorus, Nicholas, Philip, and Stephen, pillars of the church. And we need to have mature, faithful, useful, encouraging, wise, helpful pillars in this church. It can't always rest on the pastor. It can't. It's not designed to. It's not supposed to. Let me read you something in Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. Paul is addressing Titus there. He says, to the older men. Tell the older men to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. Tell the older women, likewise, they should be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, admonishing the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What he's saying is the elders, the seniors, the mature saints among us are valuable. And I know that goes contrary to the youth movement, but it's the word of God. And I want to encourage those that have maybe been around for a while to stand up and be recognized as, as a, a, someone that we can depend on to pray. Like if I get discouraged, I need a pillar in the church that's going to lift up my arms. I'm not above that. Are you kidding me? I want that. I want someone to say, Pastor Rick, man, it's going to be all right. God's bigger than that problem you're going through. I think of, I think of uh, Moses and Abraham and Joshua. Even the Apostle John is a senior saint right here. I think of Simeon in, in Luke 2 and Anna, the prophetess, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, and I, I'm telling you, there needs to be spiritual mothers and fathers in this church. We lost two wonderful fathers of the faith this past year. One was Sheldon. Sheldon was a pillar in this church. He didn't have any title, except he would say he was the head usher. <laughs> but it didn't matter. Everyone knew he was the head usher anyway. He didn't care. Sheldon was a unique individual. 
He ministered to me more than I could even tell you. I told you one time, we, he used to meet me for prayer every morning at 6 o'clock, every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. for probably three years. We used to sit right over there. He always beat me here at 6 o'clock. In fact, I'd wait over there to see if the light went on to make sure he was here. He was always here. Even in blizzards, he was here. He was a pillar in the faith. I never had to tell Sheldon to smile and greet people. That was his role. He knew what he had to do. He was faithful. He was always here. My goodness, always here. Time the doors were open, the pillar is in the, in the house. Faithful, good, happy, encouraging. Pillars. We lost another dear pillar, Stan Chris, in I think it was March of 2020, one of the first to die of COVID. I never had to tell Stan to pray. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes he and his wife would go downstairs and pray during the service. He, 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 would, he would just take it upon himself to pray for me, pray for the services. Nobody even knew what he was doing. Pillars of the faith. I never had to tell Stan or Sheldon, hey, go say hello to those new people. Never had to tell them that. They took it upon them. That was their role. I can't, I can't do all that. But pillars, they don't come in and just kind of, they're, they're, they're engaged. They're pillars. They're involved. They see a need and they fill it. They have wisdom. They know the God from the beginning. They're not just dealing with their salvation. They're, they know they're saved. They know they're going to heaven. They're grounded. They're, they're mature believers. They're able to help those newer people coming in that have all sorts of problems. And they don't, they don't fall apart. They don't panic. They don't, they, they're stable. They, they minister. They, they love. They pray. They trust God for them. We need those pillars of the church to rise up at this time. And then, then he addresses the, um, the young men and women. And to the young men and women, the, the newer believers in the church, if you're at home today, um, what an encouraging word he gives to the, to the young men and women. He says, you've overcome the wicked one. You're strong. And uh, the word of God abides in you. So when I say Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. This is speaking to the new believer. I, I can remember learning this verse early on in my life, thinking, man, I had a lousy week. I, I, my mind was all over the place. I, did, I said some things I wish I didn't. But someone said to me, you know what? He who began a good work in you was faithful to complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. It gave me confidence that I'm a work in progress. And we're all a work in progress. So if you're a, young, a new believer, a younger believer in Christ, God is just beginning with you. Youth has wonderful attributes, dreams, ambition, and energy. Come on. Youth have energy. Right? They have energy. They have, they have spunk. Man, give it to God. This is your time. The church was designed with young people in mind. That's why John's addressing the, young, the newer believer, the young, younger people. This is your time. This is your church. This is your hour to do what God wants you to do. Amen. Oh, I got saved at age 26. I always say, man, I wish I was 16 when I got saved. No, I wish I was 6 when I got saved. Whatever. 
I got saved when I got saved, but how good it is when a young person gets saved early. You avoid a whole lot of problems. But with that, a lot of encouragement, patience needs to be, needs to be given to those people. Titus 2, I won't, won't turn to it, but Paul's writing to the Titus there in Titus 2. He says, tell the young men, and I would say tell the young women, to be people of integrity, people of honor, be people of diligence. At that wedding yesterday, this young couple was standing right in front of me, and, and we we're getting ready for the marriage pledge where they say, I will, and the wedding vows. I said, before we do that, I want you to think about your words. And your words are really, really very important. You're speaking in front of God. You're speaking in front of all these people who are going to hear you, and you're speaking in front of the minister of the church. So what you say is really important. So for young people, be a person of integrity. Don't wait till a certain age to get integrity. Get it now while you're young. While you're a new believer, get integrity, get honor, be diligent. Come to church, be faithful, get on the live stream, get plugged into the things that are happening in your church. It's your church. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul writes to Timothy, Don't despise your youth, Timothy. Timothy was a relatively young believer at that time. And Paul says, don't despise your youth. In other words, don't use your youth or your newness as an excuse not to do anything. <laughs> he says, you know what? You let, your, you let your life and your youthfulness be an example to the others. You as a young person be an example to the others. You read, you study, you continue in your faith because God has great plans for you. So young person, or new believer in the faith, God has wonderful plans for your life. Start now while you can. I always say, Lord, why did I hear this message when I was younger? And I never really get an answer. It wasn't my time. It is, you know, what it is and when it is. But I love to see my grandchildren with a heart after God. Oh, my goodness. I love to see my, my daughter, Stacy and her husband, Dan, lead their children in prayer. I love it. They're developing their own faith. I love my son. He bringing his kids to church and praying with them. I love, I love that. It's never too early to start training your young ones of the things of God. So in summary, just in conclusion, the letter within the letter. Because the next thing John says is verse number 15. After, after what we just said to the church and to the mature and to the new believer... After that's out of the way, the next thing he says is, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's right back into what he's talking about. So that's why this is the letter within the letter. But the letter within the letter is speaking to the church at large, is speaking to the older saints, the mature saints, as well as the newer believers. The time is now. So in summary, the letter within the letter, church, you are needed and you are necessary to be a part of this body of believers. Every time we have something going on, try to do your best to be involved. It's, it's important that we have uh, continuity and community. To the, to the mature saints, the, the, the established, the ones that know a lot about God. You've known the God who, who, from the beginning. Your wisdom, your uh, your, your, your faith is so needed in the local church. I can't tell you how important that is. Don't be, don't be afraid or don't think you're, 
you're not usable. You are so usable. But you have to make yourself available. You can't come in and just sit. You got to come in with an open eye and say, how could God use me today? I'll guarantee you, if you're looking for a way to God use you, God will use you. And for the newer believer, man, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We need young people. We value young people. And thank the Lord for those young children and their parents that bring them here. Thank the Lord for a, a body of believers that is the full gamut of age. And uh, God is, is doing a good work. As, as I like to say, the table is set here at New Life. I think the table's set. Let's just take advantage of the meat on the table and go forward. So in closing, I want to I recite uh, Philippians 6. Why don't we stand together? Hallelujah. I want to read the entire verse. <clears throat> Philippians 1.6. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will, con- will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So that's for the church. All right? That's for all of us. It's also for the mature. Because guess what? You may be a mature believer. You may know an awful lot. But guess what? You're still a sinner saved by grace. And God's not done with you yet. So God's going to complete what he started in you, even though you know a lot. And for the new believer, man, God is just getting started in your life. And Karen, I'm seeing you over there. Karen came up here a couple weeks ago and said, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I said, hallelujah. Let's do it. And she did it. And praise God, there's a young person that received the Lord. But wherever you are, look, being confident, be confident of this. Very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning, he who started the work will keep working on you until Jesus comes back. That's what it means in pure, simple English. He who started the work, and be confident of this. Don't, don't get all bent out of shape. If you fail or you do something idiotic, welcome to the club. Repent and move on. Come on, let's just get on with it. Repent and move on and, and keep trusting God. God's going to use you and help you. But be confident that he who started a work, and he did, he did. He is faithful to complete the work until the day of Jesus Christ. Can we say it together? And I want you to say it loud. All right? I want you to say it loud. Here we go. Ready? Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's good. All right. Now, we used to sing this a lot, but uh, now, now, now I'm going to ask you to, um, to be brave and look at the person next to you because it's addressing the you. And say it again with me. Keep, keep it, it's on the screen if you need it. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on. All right. One more time. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you completed until the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're going to pray.
Let me just ask this question real, real quickly. Is there anyone here today or at home? If you're at home, write a comment and we'll get back to you later. But is there anyone here that wants to receive Jesus? You're not one of the little children. You're on the outside. And you feel the Lord calling you to come on the inside. Anyone, I want to receive Jesus. I want to receive Jesus. Okay. Let me pray. Lord, what a glorious word. The letter within the letter. Lord, I I want to pray for the church, the little children, to be encouraged. Oh, Lord, to always sing, oh, what a happy day when I... When, I, when my sins were forgiven. Happy, happy, happy day. A good day. And Lord, help us to remember, help we, the body of Christ, remember is for your glory, is for your purpose, for your name, for your name's sake. And yes, we've known the love of the Father. Help us to stay in that love with the Father. Lord, for the mature saints among us, maybe by age, maybe by length of knowing you and Surrendering to your Lordship. I pray, Lord, for the mature among us, men and women, to rise up and be counted as pillars in the church, valuable people that are not afraid, they're not wallflowers, they're not done. They recognize their purpose and they have become more valuable with their time of service to you. Lord, raise them up. Within our, within our church. And Lord, oh, we thank you for the new believers. Hallelujah. Thank you for the new believer, whether it's a month old or year old or five years old, whatever it is. Thank you for, thank you for people coming to the cross. Thank you, Lord, for opportunities you give us to share our faith with others, and they receive that faith. We pray for the new believers to be strengthened and encouraged that they've overcome the wicked one by the work of Calvary. They're strong in their faith because they're in Christ. And the word of God abides in them because Jesus is in their heart. Lord, let our new believers know they have a wonderful future in store for them. So, Lord, I just want to pray your blessing over the church, over the mothers and fathers and the new believers. And, uh, Lord, uh, also I want to pray for the little children that are downstairs. Continue to bless them and raise them up believers. So thank you, Lord, for this word today. Let us leave here with total confidence and victory in our heart that you who started this work, you are able to complete it until you come back to get us. Let us walk in that victory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Hallelujah. Okay. All the parents, if you have children downstairs, go fetch them. All the parents, go get your kids. Uh, They're going to be waiting for you to go downstairs. Also, listen, listen, there's...